2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll begin at verse 1. Let's read together the word of the Lord. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth, will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now, Lord, open our hearts, I ask, that we may hear and receive what the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. Lord, I pray a special blessing upon those churches that are meeting on our campus, that you would uh, endue them with special grace of help and of your presence. And I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. I pray especially for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. I ask that you will draw them back to you. Don't let one of them be lost. I pray all of these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Teacher was trying to assess the problem-solving skills of his seventh grade class, so he gave them this scenario. A locomotive is heading east at 60 miles per hour. Somehow a terrible error has been made and a freight train traveling west at 50 miles per hour has been assigned to the same track. Just as the westbound train passes the final switching place between the two trains, you discover the mistake. What do you do? A lot of different answers were proposed by the class. Someone suggested trying to radio the engineers, but they were told the radio was out. Another said he would try to catch one of the trains by racing down a parallel highway and signaling the engineer to stop, but he was told there wasn't enough time. Back and forth the ideas flew, each one having no real solution, until finally one young lady in the back got the teacher's attention. Yes, Janet, what would you do? She said, I'd hurry and get my little brother, Jimmy. Who's Jimmy? He's, he's my younger brother. Well, well, why would you want to get Jimmy? <laughs> because he's never seen a train wreck like this one before. <laughs> As we sit in this service today, there are people we know whose lives are on a collision course with disaster. 
Every step they take only leads them closer to the time when they're going to crash. They are desperately in need of a solution that will get them back on the right track, moving in the right direction. In this series I'm calling The Divine Perspective, I've been talking to you about making some course adjustments that are not only important for the way you approach life and living, but these things I'm talking about are things of eternal importance as well. Each week I've said to you that your belief determines your behavior. That's what the wisdom writer has been saying all along in Proverbs 23 and 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Once you understand that, then you begin to recognize that the key to behavior modification is belief modification. Perhaps the greatest reason people's lives get so messed up is because they are living according to a faulty belief system. Before there can ever be any change and any real help for the condition they're in, there must first be some course corrections made in the way they believe. Now today I want to spend some time talking about satisfaction. There isn't a person listening to this message who doesn't want to have a sense of personal satisfaction in what you do. I mean, think about it. We all want to come home at the end of the day, pull off our shoes, sit down in our favorite chair, put our feet up, breathe a sigh of relief that the day is over, and do it with a smile on our face that it has been a very challenging and yet a very rewarding day. We want our work to be satisfying. We want our marriage to be satisfying. We want our recreation to be satisfying. Every one of us would like the satisfaction of personal accomplishment and achievement and the sense that our labor isn't in vain, but it is accomplishing something worthwhile for ourselves, for our family, for God, and maybe even making a difference in our world. A couple of weeks ago, I told you that success is directly tied to goals. Last week, we saw that significance is tied to time. In the same way, I would tell you today that satisfaction is tied to purpose. The secret to satisfaction isn't in all the circumstances of life being to your liking. It isn't in cool breezes and pleasant comfort zones. It isn't in place or position. The secret to satisfaction is in knowing and carrying out your purpose. In 1981, a film named Chariots of Fire was released. Did anybody ever see Chariots of Fire? Yeah, four of us, okay. <laughs> you can tell how old I'm getting you know, when I go and reference films that old. It's based on a true, it, you, it's probably on YouTube or, or Netflix or someplace. You could, you could read it or, or view it that way. Check it out, it's a great film. It's based on a true story. It tells of two British athletes in the 1924 Olympics. Eric Little, a devout Scottish Christian born in China of missionary parents, runs for the glory of God. The other, Harold Abrahams, an English Jew, runs to overcome prejudice. In the movie, there's a scene when Eric's sister Jenny disapproves of his plans to pursue competitive running. When Eric accidentally misses a church prayer meeting because of his training, Jenny accuses him of no longer caring about God. 
I love the way he responds. It's probably just Hollywood lines, but they are powerful nonetheless. In response to the concerns of his sister, Eric says in his heavy Scottish accent that he isn't abandoning God just because he is training and running. He assures her that he intends to return to the China mission, but that he feels divinely inspired when running. And he says not to run would be to dishonor God. Then he says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. That's what you see happening in the lives of the early disciples of Jesus. When they're doing the work of ministry to which they've been called, they feel divine pleasure. You know, sometimes we think we have hardships. If you want to talk about trouble and distress, how about the report of those early followers of Jesus written in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 36 through 38? Here's what it says. Others experienced mockings and scourgings. Yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. <laughs> I don't know about you, that's what I call stress and pressure. But the typical response of the disciples to this kind of trouble isn't the blow-up we see happening in our day. It isn't the escaping and the dropping out we see all around us. When trials and tribulation and suffering came to their lives, you don't see these disciples caving in. When things didn't go just like they wanted, you don't see them running away. Even though circumstances were often unpleasant, even though persecution mounted, they discovered what God had called them to do. They discovered why they were created and called. They used their unique gifts and abilities to the glory of God. They found their purpose. When they did what they were created and called and gifted to do, they felt his pleasure. You know, that's one of the things that made the Apostle Paul so successful. If you want to talk about trouble and difficulty, he really knew what that was all about. He gives this report in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 20, 24 through 28. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a, de a, night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys. In danger, watch this. In dangers from rivers. Dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure upon me of concern for all the churches. And you thought you had it bad. Even with all that hardship and pain and disappointment, Paul still had an ability to say in Philippians 4.11, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul, you know there were times when he had to support himself in the ministry by the trade of tent making. But note this, there is never a time when Paul speaks of himself as a tent maker. You read his letters. He never begins one of them by saying, Paul, a tent maker. Mm -mm. They all begin, 
Paul an apostle? If you were to stop him and ask him, Paul, what do you do? He would reply, I'm an apostle. He knew his purpose. He was an apostle when he was writing letters to the churches and when he was standing on the street corner proclaiming the gospel. But he was no less an apostle when he was stitching together canvas to make tents. He was no less an apostle when he was confined in a prison cell. Once he knew his purpose, he realized that the place in which he found himself didn't matter. The position he held in the eyes of other people didn't really matter. All that mattered was he was carrying out his purpose. That's what he's doing when he writes the letter to Timothy, from which we read our text a moment ago, whom he calls his son in the Lord. Paul has come down to the end of his life. He's confined in prison, knowing it won't be much longer before the order is given to end his life. But just because he's in prison, awaiting the executioner's acts, doesn't mean he isn't still an apostle. It doesn't mean he doesn't still have a purpose to fulfill. Paul had learned this lesson so well that here in our text that we read at the beginning of the message, which are some of the last words he wrote before his execution, he is not only carrying out his purpose as an apostle, but he is exhorting his son in the faith to be faithful and fulfill his purpose as well. Here's what he says in verse 5 to Timothy. Fulfill your ministry. I think that's the word that the Lord gave me to present to this congregation today. Fulfill your ministry. He warns young Timothy about some of the hardship he's going to face when he begins to engage that purpose. Just because he's called to be a minister and just because he's doing the work of ministry doesn't mean everybody's going to like it. In fact, in verse 3, he writes that some are not going to endure sound doctrine. They aren't going to stick around where the word of God is being proclaimed. They're going to flock to those who will tell them what they want to hear. They're going to run to those who have the biggest hype and the best publicist. They won't want to have much to do with those who in verse 2 will reprove and rebuke and exhort. And what Paul wants young Timothy to know is that in spite of difficulties and adversities and hardships, the only way to find real satisfaction is when you carry out the job you have received from the Heavenly Father. If you want a picture of satisfaction, you'll find it in verses 6 and 7 of our text when Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Those are the words of a man who has discovered that the secret to satisfaction isn't place or position. It is purpose. Listen, if you are plagued with a gnawing sense of dissatisfaction, if you lack a sense of contentment and fulfillment with life, then you need to understand that satisfaction is directly tied to purpose. Your greatest satisfaction in life will come when you discover your unique gifts and abilities and use them to edify others and glorify the Lord. The Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Just a few verses earlier in that chapter, he tells about some of the things that will not produce satisfaction. 
In verse 3 of that chapter, he writes, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Don't be fooled. You will never find true satisfaction in pursuing the things of this world. As enticing as they may seem on the surface, they can never bring satisfaction. You will only find satisfaction when you are actively involved in doing that which causes you to feel the divine pleasure of the Almighty. Satisfaction is linked to purpose. If you want real satisfaction, then pay attention to the instruction Paul gave to Timothy. Fulfill your ministry. Why don't you just look over at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you today. Fulfill your ministry. In the few minutes that we have left, I want to give you three steps that will help you do that. Step number one, find your God-given place. God has a unique place that only you can fill. God has created you and called you for a specific purpose. And it's important for you to find where that place and what that purpose is. And, it, and that begins with passion. What are you passionate about? What flips your switch and gets your motor running? Here's some things that will help you find your God-given place. First, seek the Lord. If you really want to hear from God what his will and plan and purpose for your life is, he'll tell you. Too often, the reason we haven't found out what God wants from our lives is simply because we haven't asked him. And then we haven't stopped long enough to listen to what he has to say. I'll tell you a prayer that the Lord takes great delight in answering. It's the prayer that says, oh Lord, what will you have me do? Not only do you need to seek the Lord, but you need to ask the right questions. If you think you may have found what God wants you to do, ask if this activity, if this place has eternal value and significance. You can be certain the purpose of God isn't something that is going to diminish or pass away with time. The fulfilling of that purpose is going to result in something that will last throughout all eternity. Ask yourself, if this activity will build the kingdom of God or is it just building your kingdom? Y'all doing okay today? I'm, I'm, <coughs> I think I'm just giving a little talk. I don't know how much preaching I'm doing right now, but uh, maybe this will help somebody. Not only that, but you need to ask if this activity is enjoyable for you. See, God is a God of purpose, and he never intended you to live your life with no joy. There are too many people who think that if it's the will of God, then it's going to be dutiful drudgery. God never intended you to live your life as dull and boring and colorless. He never intended your life to be so pressure-filled and stressful that you are always on the verge of collapse. His word says that the walk with him is joy inexpressible and full of glory. 
That doesn't mean you're always happy, but it does mean there's joy in the journey. If it isn't enjoyable for you, then chances are very slim that it's God's purpose for your life or that it's your God-given place. Remember, when I run, what? I feel his pleasure. Seek the Lord, ask the right questions, then you need to be brave enough to experiment. If there's something you think just might be God's will for your life, check it out. Try it. It isn't going to throw God a curve if you get involved in an area that isn't really your passion or God's purpose for your life. It won't permanently disrupt the divine order of things if you earnestly and sincerely seek his will and you miss it. You know, some people never do anything because they're so fearful they're going to miss the will of God. Listen, God wants you in his will even more than you want to be in his will. He's got a way of redirecting your steps and ordering things around to put you where he needs you to be. If you'll just pay attention. When you try something you believe the Lord has spoken to your heart about and it passes the eternity, the eternity test, but it doesn't work and you don't enjoy doing it, and the whole thing falls apart, and you're frustrated, and you're stressed about it, <laughs> rejoice! You found one more thing that isn't your place or your purpose. You can just cross that one off the list, move on to something else. It's okay. God's not going to get all bent out of shape about that. Then when you try something else, and it passes the eternity test, and it works, and when you do it, you feel the divine pleasure, then rejoice and get on with the next step. You find your place, and then the second, number two, you fulfill your purpose. You know, you can tell what's really important to someone by looking at two things, his calendar and his checkbook. You ought to be putting the bulk of your time the bulk of your energy, the bulk of your thought, the bulk of your resources into your God-given purpose. Understand something. Just because some things are good doesn't mean they are God's best for your life. And sometimes in order to achieve the best, you have to stay away from the good. If you're looking for satisfaction, fulfill your purpose. Find out what it is that you do. And when you do it, you feel the pleasure of the Almighty and do it. And I don't know where we ever got the idea that the only ones who minister are those who stand in the pulpit. God's gifting and calling puts people in all kinds of places doing all kinds of things. See, there are things that only you can do. You're, <laughs> you're better than anybody else at being you. And you're terrible at being somebody else. You need to decide you're going to be what God wants you to be in those roles that are uniquely yours. You know, you're the only one who can fill the role of father or mother of that child. There are over 7 billion people in the world, and you're the only one they call daddy. You're the only one who can fill the role of son or daughter in that family. You're the only one who can fill the role of husband or wife in that home. You're the only one who can fill the role of your unique relationship with that coworker or that friend. 
You occupy a unique role as an ambassador for Jesus where you work. You have gifts and talents and personality in a combination that is unlike any other person. Your greatest satisfaction will come from accepting and occupying God's unique place for you to the best of your ability. You will touch people's lives I will never see. So in order to find satisfaction, you need to find your place and fulfill your purpose. And the last step, flourish where you're planted. You know, seeds are wonderful things. You plant them and they sprout. It doesn't matter if they are placed in a plastic pot to be used for a child science fair experiment <laughs> or if they are planted in the garden of the palace. They sprout when they are planted because that's what seeds do. They sprout, they grow, they produce plants. That's their purpose. In Acts chapter 16, Dr. Luke records the story of the Apostle Paul receiving a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. From that moment, Paul's ministry was concentrated in that region. He found a lady named Lydia conducting a prayer meeting by the river just outside the city of Philippi. And he preached to her and won a convert. He went on into the city of Philippi and a slave girl with a spirit of divination kept following him around. Well, Paul finally got annoyed with her and turned around and commanded the false spirit to come out of her. She was delivered and another convert to Jesus was one. Well, this girl's owners were upset because they'd been using her as a fortune teller to make money. And when their source of revenue dried up, they stirred up the people and had Paul and his companion Silas beaten and thrown in jail. <coughs> but, but at midnight in the dungeon, bound in stocks and chains, Paul and Silas began to sing songs of praise and adoration unto God. A mighty earthquake ensued. The chains fell off. The jailer ran in just in time to see the doors of the prison swing open, thinking the prisoners had all run off. He drew his sword to take his own life when Paul shouted out for him to stop. When the jailer asked how to be saved, Paul prayed with him, and Mr. Jailer and Mrs. Jailer and all the little jailers surrendered their lives to Jesus. Now, now, the point of telling you about this is to let you see that this man who has given this instruction about fulfilling our ministry knew what it was like to flourish where he was planted. He wanted to go one direction. The Holy Spirit said, no, you can't go there. You've got to go over here. So that's where he went in obedience. And then he gets over there. Well, if he's by the river, he was fulfilling his purpose. If he was walking the city streets, he was fulfilling his purpose. If he was in jail, he was fulfilling his purpose. Later on, Paul writes back to this Philippian church that had been founded with these people I just told you about as charter members. At the time he writes his letter to that church, <laughs> he's again in prison. He just had, couldn't stay out of jail. But he writes to this church in Philippians chapter 1 that his imprisonment 
this time has resulted in many of the Praetorian Guard coming to faith in Christ Jesus. Also, the fellow Christian believers have been strengthened in the process because of the way they saw him continuing to fulfill his purpose in the midst of suffering and hardship. Wherever Paul was, he was fulfilling his purpose. I'm trying to help you see that you do not have to wait for all the conditions to be right before you begin to flourish in your purpose. You don't have to wait for the stars to align and the season to change before beginning to do what God has called you to do. You don't have to wait for authorization from an organization to pursue God's plan. Right now, you can begin to be the person God has created and called you to be. Right now, you can be that wife God has called you to be. You can be that husband and that father God has called you to be. You can be that teacher, that writer, that helper, that counselor, that nurse, that builder God has called you to be. Right now, you can be that prayer warrior God has called you to be. You can be the witness God has called you to be. You can focus your energies and your resources on those things that are of eternal significance. You may only be in a plastic pot, but you don't have to wait to be placed in the palace gardens. Your satisfaction will not come from place or position. It comes from purpose. Oh, and by the way, don't worry that you don't have everything you dream of having at the very beginning. Don't worry if all the pieces aren't in place right now. Don't worry if nobody knows who you are when you begin. God knows who you are. God knows where you are. He has his hand on your life. And you need to understand something. Your gifts will make room for you. You won't have to push the door open. When God's in the arrangements, he can open a door that no man can shut so fast it will make your head swim. You be faithful over a few things, he'll make you ruler over many things. You be faithful with what you have, he'll give the increase. Maybe you got pushed back or tripped up or knocked down. Maybe you feel wounded beyond repair. Hear this preacher today. Don't let your setback keep you from your comeback. Wherever you find yourself, be it in the boardroom or the back alley, be it on the car lot or in the classroom, whether fighting fires or nursing patients, whether preparing a meal or showing a house, don't abandon your purpose. Flourish where you are planted. I just feel like the Lord wants to speak to somebody who has had the door slammed in your face, somebody who's lost hope, somebody whose dream has died. The Lord wants to remind you that man doesn't determine your destiny. Circumstances don't determine your destiny. Organizations don't determine your destiny. God and God alone determines your destiny.
when you think it's too far gone, <laughs> that's when God does his best work. Anybody remember the story of Lazarus? Good, because I don't have time to preach it. I'll just tell you from that story, when it's four days dead and everybody says it's over, that's when the Lord commands new life. <laughs> the same God who found Gideon cowering in a wine press and placed him as the captain of the Lord's army. The same God who found Joseph in the pit and elevated him to the position of prime minister. The same God who found David tending sheep and crowned him as the shepherd over his people in the palace. The same God who found Peter weeping bitter tears after denying the Lord and anointed him as the spokesman of Pentecost. This God is your God. He knows right where you are. He knows what you've been through. He still has his hand on you. He still has a plan and a purpose for you. Pick yourself up. Brush yourself off. Put your hand in his hand. Refuse to surrender. Dare to dream again. Somebody needs to claim the promise of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? I'm telling you, the Lord is your helper. The Lord holds your future. The Lord determines your destiny. Somebody needs to be encouraged in the Lord today. You've been ready to give up, but the Lord is speaking to you about pressing on. I want to pray with you today. Stand with me, please. I'm, I'm finished, whatever it was I was doing. I'm trying to fulfill my purpose, that's right. <laughs> I want to pray for somebody today. I want to pray for the fulfillment of God-given dreams. I want to pray that you're not going to be satisfied with the good, but you're going to keep pursuing until you receive God's best. I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know who this message has been for today. Maybe I just needed to pick me up, but I just feel like the Lord had me preaching it for somebody. You needed to hear that. I just want to know if you, if you need that kind of prayer. If so, I'm not going to wait, but if you want prayer, I'm going to ask you to come quickly and stand right here because I want to believe with you that God has something special in mind for your life. Father, I'm praying that you restore, restore dreams, callings, purpose. Lead them, guide them, direct them. Do it with fresh touch, fresh anointing in their lives. That's what I'm praying. will be greater than